Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. And away we go. Let's get it started. Tuesday edition of the Oakley Show. Great day for talk radio and weather-wise, cloudy skies. Look at that. We got some snow coming down here, too. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I guess I wasn't that used to seeing this uh, being down south all last week. It's kind of come as a bit of a, a shock and all. But actually, the, the most shocking thing that I saw earlier today was a postie coming up my walk. I couldn't believe it. There was a guy actually with a pouch of mail and uh, dropped some off in addition to, of course, the requisite flyers keeping the corp afloat. But yeah, that was kind of interesting after so many weeks of these rotating strikes and uh, not getting the license renewal sticker in a mail, you know, like a doofus, I'm carrying around a receipt in case the cop stops me to show that I paid for this thing about six weeks ago, still had not arrived. So I'm really basically cheating the hangman at this point. I felt like a scofflaw every time I'm driving, you know, back and forth, to and from work. You have to protect this delicate piece of thermal paper. Well, yeah, this little plastic sticker, but I now I'm street legal. Boy, I, I little beadlets of sweat on the brow. I can just wipe those clean. I'm good to go again. So there you go, hit the reset button. But that's because it was hung up in a post office, which, as I understand, there are many more such parcels and packages and letters and what have you. They say uh, the post office does. There are 500 tractor-trailer loads of mail being held up in parked vehicles at Canada Post facilities. And so there's a backlog that has to be processed. Now, whether or not it'll be done with dispatch remains to be seen because apparently members of the union are not too pleased that the back-to-work legislation that passed late yesterday and went into effect today at noon, they're going to fight it in court. Apparently, that's one of the uh, challenges, I guess, that's about to be faced. The union's going to court. Now, if they win, what do they do? Go back on strike. So whether this is constitutional or no uh, remains to be seen, but something we'll address during the uh, course of the program because, well, it's one of those concerns that we have, uh, and insofar as a concern... I guess, you know, these people who are wanting to fight it, this back-to-work legislation, what, they don't want to go back to work or they feel like their their rights are being abridged, I think. That's what one of the complaints is, you know, the right to bargain. And uh, since this may be arbitrated, which tends to favor the union anyway, I don't understand. I would think that they just look down the road to Oshawa and say, <laughs> pretty happy to just have a gig to go back to. Whereas we know everything is reeling in the city to the east of us. Meanwhile, out west, you know, this is kind of interesting because the two are not necessarily uh, mutually exclusive stories because the government of Ontario, as well as the feds, have ponied up a fairly significant chunk of change to Maple Leaf Foods, which is a private company, and the Canadian Taxpayers Federation are railing against this, the fact that the province has announced $62.5 million of taxpayer money to Maple Leaf Foods to build a chicken processing plant in London. They're going to shutter the one in Brampton. Uh, There's another one, I'm trying to remember, in the uh, vicinity here that they're also planning to close down in like 2022 and move everything to a more upgraded, innovative kind of approach to... uh, (laughs) I 
I love what the Canadian Taxpayers Federation are really railing against this, which I get. And by the way, our friend Kevin Gaudet, who used to be the head of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, is going to be with us on the panel after 520 and topics worthy of discussion. This is one such. As they write, uh, usually corporate welfare is rationalized as job creation, but this case is a unique innovation. 300 employees are getting fired. Well, see, they're making it more efficient. That's the same rationale behind General Motors closing the Oshawa plant. They want to be more efficient, agile, and uh, address the way people will be uh, consuming in the future, which is what Maple Leaf Foods is effectively saying as well. They're going to be selling uh, processed chicken parts, or as the Canadian Taxpayers Federation put it, while taxpayers have many questions, apparently none of the decision makers involved considered this glaringly obvious point. Why would it be unreasonable for a business such as Maple Leaf to simply pay for its own processing plant itself, especially in the dynamic, innovative, strategic industry of cutting up chickens? (laughs) So, this... You gotta like Aaron Woodrick and the folks at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation for being a little snarky here, but the point is well made. Whether or not government largesse should be a part of it, and this gets me back into the General Motors scene, because while we know that we've bailed them out in the past, most recently in the meltdown of 09, 10.8 million collectively, feds and us here in the problem, while we're all one taxpayer, let's not kid ourselves, this is something that... uh, Apparently, General Motors wasn't really looking to uh, get any more of this largesse because it became a case of just wanting to upend the operation and head south. Maple Leaf Foods upending their operation in Brampton, one other plant in the GTA, and they're heading out west, which answers the ultimate question. Why did the chicken cross the road? To get to the new plant out London way, that's why. (laughs) And so... Uh, But General Motors, the uh, story out of Oshawa, it's not a good one, needless to say, and we've heard from various and sundry on that front. Uh, It bears repeating that, you know, Jerry Diaz, who was with us yesterday, was obviously uh, quite upset, and uh, he's outraged by what he feels is persistently shabby treatment by General Motors. Give a listen. If I had it my way, uh, and I've, I've spoken to the head of the UAW, I'd shut down every General Motors assembly plant in Canada and the United States to get their attention. I'm sick and tired of all of our jobs. Same with the UAW, losing all of our jobs to Mexico. I'm sick and tired of the fact that they announced a closure of assembly plant here in Canada, four in the United States, not doing anything in Mexico. So it's just the same old argument, but we've had for the last 15 months over NAFTA, and we've had enough. All right, so he's at a breaking point, or this might be the breaking point. He also goes on to say that the government the government needs to stick up for the workers. The governments gave General Motors $10.8 billion uh, just 10 years ago when they were in bankruptcy. Certainly they must be able to appeal to their element of common sense. Mexican government didn't give them a dime. So this is really about the government saying, okay, we've had enough. Uh, You haven't repaid all of the money that you were loaned. You're going to have to pay it back. But over and above that, we're going to work with the union, and we're going to challenge the fact that you're not putting more jobs in Canada. So what he was really angling towards, and I saw his press conference earlier today as well, where he was talking about uh, Mexico being the beneficiary of all of these moves, and they don't build uh, as or don't buy near as many cars as they produce and flood the North American market. Whereas in Ontario, for example, in Canada, we tend to uh, build as many uh, as we buy. 
and therefore this is a, a lucrative market for General Motors. So don't look a gift horse in the mouth. You should be uh, patronizing the people who build your product and buy your product. And I was thinking to myself now, and, and it's not necessarily an original thought because I saw op-eds have, uh, and there are people uh, like, well, Andrea Horvath, who are suggesting that the way to get around this, the workaround, is if General Motors won't play ball in Canada, then we ought to do something domestically, domestically to uh, ensure that there's a, a Canadian automotive industry wholly owned and operated by. Does that make sense to you? I mean, but we're talking about nationalization here. There was an op-ed piece, as a matter of fact, in the Toronto Star today. Saw this. Uh, David Olive, business columnist. It's time for a truly Canadian automaker. And somebody who was there at the time uh, told me just recently, within the last hour or so, that back in 1979, when Lee Iacocca uh, was threatening to take Chrysler out of Windsor, the Pierre Trudeau government at the time, and uh, Mr. Coots, remember Cutesy Cootsy? <laughs> who was his chief, I guess he was his chief of staff at the time. And uh, they had uh, threatened to, okay, if that's what you're going to do, if that's your serve, here's our return. We're going to set up a Canadian auto manufacturer. And I don't know if this part was real, but uh, we're going to call it the Beaver. <laughs> the Beaver would be on the road uh, in due course and would be basically eating your grass and everything else that beavers are apt to munch on. So this is one of those things where uh, if you decide that they didn't want to play ball in Canada. Canada is self-sufficient in that regard because we have the talent, you know, to wit. Uh, look how good we were with the Avro Arrow. And then, you know, that was shuttered because, and you can get into the whole history of it, I'm sure, uh, on another program at another time, but uh, <laughs> because the Americans pretty much said stand down on this. But if we wanted to, and, uh, you know, if we had that kind of Trumpian bravura of economic nationalism, that might support the impetus for getting a Canadian, a wholly owned Canadian automotive manufacturer up and running. And that's my question, whether or not that makes sense to you, because the caveats that I would issue, uh, well, we just bought a pipeline for $4.5 billion out west because we couldn't get anything built. And the company that actually was privately controlled one down there in Houston, I guess a public company, but it was a private concern, they didn't want anything more to do with it because too many hoops and hurdles and red tape and all the rest of that nonsense. But we bought it and we own it. And by golly, we're going to make it work, according to the prime minister. So is it something that you feel is practical, uh, reasonable under the circumstances, makes a lot of sense? And I know uh, there's that other school of thought that believes, you know, you just if it can't survive on its own or there's a corporate entity, the, the parent company says this is not economically viable for where we want to go and uh, we're trying to shape shift into uh, a more modern entity. So the old gas guzzler ain't going to make it. That's passe. We're shutting up shop and we're leaving. We're pulling up stakes next year. Uh, see you later. Bonsoir la visite. However, you know, in Oshawa, and I read this letter from the city of Oshawa today, and the mayor, John Henry, signed off. He was suggesting that we do have the capacity to really be geared up for the future and whatever it is that General Motors would want to make. Well, and if not them, then maybe this Canadian entity, Beaver 2.0, <laughs> you know, because you've got the University of Oshawa uh, Institute of Technology there. 
they're cranking out uh, a lot of graduates with this high-tech, you know, very progressive, innovative uh, approach to things. And the Canadian workforce were told, hell, I mean, the people who were manning the lines there in Oshawa were granted uh, the consideration of being the tops in their field globally and have won prestigious awards. So could we do it? Would we want to do it? Is it something that maybe speaks to economic nationalism and independence, apart from being a branch plant kind of a situation where we're beholden to the vagaries of, well, the market and corporate hindquarters out of Detroit or wherever these multinationals now that tell us, uh, you know, how high we're going to jump and when? Would you like to see that? I'm going to open the lines on that note as a first order of business. We're going to talk to Andrew Shear a little later in the program. He also is as concerned as every other politician seems to be, and not without good reason, but uh, is there anything the politicians can practically do to forestall what seems to be the inevitable? I don't know. I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. Uh, I seriously doubt whether or not Brother Diaz can get his brethren and sister and stateside with the UAW to act in concert or solidarity and shut plants out and get GM's attention. I mean, Donald Trump still wields the biggest stick, and he's pissed because they're, they're pulling up stakes and plants in Ohio and Michigan, two of the swing states that won him the election. They're critical. Ohio, absolutely so. How Ohio goes, so goes the presidency. But Michigan was one of those vital swing states that cost Hillary Clinton the presidency. So he can't afford to see them pull up stakes, so he may still have something to say on the matter. As Larry Kudlow, his chief economic advisor, said in his noontime presser that I was watching on TV, uh, Trudeau and Trump are effectively on the same page as far as this is concerned. They're both angry at General Motors. But is there enough, I won't say anger, but uh, cause to want to make, if not a common cause, certainly an understanding that economic nationalism has a role to play in all of this. And therefore, we should. Now, I'm not advocating this. I'm just wondering if you think that's something that's practical against the backdrop of General Motors. Eventually, quitting Canada entirely, as Mr. Diaz said in his press conference in the lunch hour. It's it's the inevitable. They're still in St. Catharines and Ingersoll. But he said it's just a matter of time. The writing's on the wall. So do you think we ought to go with some kind of domestic? And this is how General Motors started in the beginning. With Sam McLaughlin back at the turn of the the last century. Does it make sense? Yes. To you? Yes. No. 870-6400. Let's get her going on that note. There's a whole lot of program. We can discuss this in different permutations. We will with our panel, but I wanted to give you first crack, and then we'll get around to uh, some other stories that have made the uh, radar, including the uh, dastardly deed that uh, Melissa Todorovic committed back in 2009, prompting her then-boyfriend to go and kill an innocent girl she saw as a rival. She got day parole, and... uh, how that's going to stand with a lot of people. We'll find out. Michael Lacey's going to join us. He's the president of the Criminal Lawyers Association here in Ontario. First off to you, would you support a domestic automobile? Do you think we have the wherewithal capacity to do that? And would there be public favor as far as that's concerned? So the politicians, if they got behind it, is that a winner or a loser? Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.